America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. I'm Ron Baker with my good friend, colleague, and co-host, Ed Kless. So, Ed, who are you more like, Mr. Spock or Homer Simpson? I'm a Dr. Spock kind of guy. Um which I know is different. We get we got all of the Trekkie fans mad at us originally right out of the gate. No, yes. it's Mister Mister Spock, not Doctor Spock. I know. Uh, I would say, Ron, I am honestly more Homer Simpson. Really? Yeah. I, I'm. 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 I can be sucked into stuff pretty easily, and I like donuts. So. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's actually one of the reasons why I'm a libertarian, which we mentioned in the show, because I. I look at it this way. I don't even know what's always good for me. So for me to impose it on somebody else would be really outrageous of me. Right, right. So. Well, that's, a, that's a very good point. You, you know, the difference between these two things is, is, is kind of like this internecine war going on in the economics profession between the quote-unquote the rationalists and the irrationalists. And that's a very simplified distinction that, that's probably technically not even correct, but uh, that's kind of what we want to explore today because I, I think both sides have very interesting insights into human behavior. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the other way to put this for the more to is we have, you know, homo economicus, which is the classic way of thinking of, of the rational man. Right. And then, then, then we do have Homer economicus too. And I think when, well, I'll give away the end here, but we think that both are valid, but I think it's important to explore why those things are. Right. Because I know a lot of, a lot of listeners are probably very familiar with like the book for economics by Stephen Levitt, because that Great was a very book. popular, but he has an excellent book. In fact, I just finished his uh, his follow on book, Think Like a Freak, and and that was actually very good too. And and they are definitely in the the rationality camp that we're more like Mr. Spock, you know, that we're able to take in and process a lot of information, look at a lot of facts and figures, compute return on investments, and optimize or maximize the utility or the value of every decision. And there's no doubt that, that, that even, even our good, uh, you know, the economists that we like a lot, Stephen Landsberg says most of economics can be summarized in four words. People respond to incentives. The rest is commentary. Yeah, right. You, would, you don't ask your barber if you need a haircut and nobody I know washes a rental car. So, so there's no doubt that incentives do play a role in rationality the only issue is is it is it the entire story well before we get into one versus the other let's 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 clarify a couple of terms here i think and the the, the term that we keep seem using is irrational or an irrational right. and i think it's important for us to make a distinction here that when we say 
rational, irrational, especially when we say irrational, we don't mean crazy. Um, the classic definition of rationality is the laws of thought, which I think were put forward by Plato or Aristotle, or definitely refined by Aristotle. And, you know, there's three. There's the law of identity, right? The thing is the thing. A is A. That's the classic way of, of, of thinking about it. The second law that comes into play there is uh, non-contradiction, right? Nothing can be A and non-A. So we, we can't, you know, trans, transformers have to transform, <laughs> right, from right, one right. thing to the other. They can't be both things at the same time. And then, of course, the last one is called the law of the excluded middle, which is everything must be either A or not A, So, it, which is an either, the either-or situation. But it's really those three things together that make up what is what is classically thought of as rationality. The, 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 and, you know, rationality, ratio, logic, the, these are all the same type words. And what was interesting is that there, there were – there's even you – know, I, I remember one story about – uh, Abraham Lincoln, who when he would he would give an intelligence test when he was interviewing somebody, he would ask them, uh, you know, if if you call a dog's tail a leg, how many legs does it have? Right, <laughs> right. And the answer is four. All right, a dog has four legs. You can call it anything you want; it's still only four legs. But that was kind of his way of testing to see if somebody was a rational thinker. Uh, and it was because you could ap- apply these three laws t- to the conversation. So but when we say irrational, we're not – we don't mean crazy, insane, no, or non-thinking. That's really – that's not what we mean. Right. And, and, and we're certainly not saying that Mr. Spock is, is better than Homer Simpson. I mean, take, take the characters out of, out of it. But it, because it's, Mr., it, it's Homer Simpson is the spontaneous one, the romantic one, the, the one that writes poetry, the one that's spontaneous, all of those things. Um, in other words, I guess we as human beings are comprised of both. And, and that's what makes us a, a, a human being, that we have both of these uh, capacities in our brain at the same time. Uh, right. And well, and, but some people say that we never behave irrationally. I, I, I think that that's, that's not necessarily true. I think we – I'm living proof that I think I behave irrationally sometimes. So, Right. And so, Ed, my understanding of the economists who assume rationality and, and, and a, great, a, a great succinct way of, of putting this is how David Friedman, and that's Melton Friedman's son, uh, said it in his, in his textbook, actually. He said, economics is the way of understanding behavior that starts from the assumption that people have objectives and tend to choose the correct way to achieve them. Now, that that's very useful because to to devise a theory that said that people weren't going to figure out the correct way to do things probably couldn't stand up to reality because we are learning creatures you know we'll figure out the, the the best way to drive to a new work location you know after a week or so we'll figure out the traffic patterns and figure out the way to go because that's that's what we do we learn and so having that assumption grounds economists in assuming not necessarily that it because it's correct, but assuming that people are going to act rational, they're going to act in their own self-interest, and it, it it provides incredible insights to human behavior. Well, yes, and I think and I think it's clear that in, in the business world where people are are living and breathing every day, it's 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 the it's the default assumption for for most things. Right. We, we, we ha- when we're when we're designing systems, when we're designing uh, a pricing structure, which I know we're, we're going to get into, we're going to have to we have to assume 
some thought, some some amount of rationality, and that people are going to look at things and and try to at least compute to some degree whether or not they're making a, a good or a bad decision for themselves. Right. I, I, you know, one of my favorite examples to assume that people are rational is this idea of ninety nine cent pricing and and why did why do we do this? And when I've asked this question of audiences around the world, people say, "Well, it's it's uh, psychologically, it sounds less than a dollar." Now, if you hold on to the assumption of rationality, uh, like these a lot of economists do, you can't believe that. You can't believe, really, that you're fooling Mr. Spock, that 99 cents is a lot less than a buck. He's not going to be fooled by that psychological trick. So there must be something else going on. And one theory is that that's something else that's going on is 99 cent pricing came about in the 1880s when the cash register was invented. And cash register is a great tool, great piece of technology for tracking sales rung into it, but it's not so great for tracking sales not rung into it. So if you price things at a dollar and your employees take the dollar, they just put it in their pocket, nobody's the wiser. But if you price at 99 cents, now they have to ring up the till and make change. And so it was a very rational response to employee theft, which is a big problem in the retail industry. So that's one, that's just one example of the type of insight you, you can get to human behavior by assuming that people are rational. And yeah, but here's where where it, it that kind of thing man, that manifests itself. Not long ago, this is about five years ago. There was a restaurant here in my town that on Fridays they had a happy hour during the summer, right? And it was like, and I kid you, this is absolutely true. I think I, I took a picture of it. I'll try to get it up on the website. But it was a uh, dollar ninety nine margaritas or two dollar draft beers. Right. Right. <laughs> I, rem- I remember that, Ed. I remember that. <laughs> I was just like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that, that, that's, that's an interesting anomaly. Um, the other example I, I, I love to point out, and maybe it's just because I've been to Australia so much, but th- when the British sent uh, convicts down to Australia, they – they started by paying the ship companies for every prisoner that boarded the ship in the UK. Now, this was a pretty treacherous journey, and even though there was adequate food and even medical supplies on board, there was a one-third mortality rate among the prisoners They, mm. they because the, the crew and the captains figured out, hey, we can hoard the food, the medical supplies, not give it to the prisoners, but when we get to Australia, we can sell it and make that much more money. Now, I think this is a great illustration, Ed, of the difference between accountants and lawyers and economists. Accountants and lawyers, when, they, when they're confronted with an issue like this, they, they tend to look to compliance. They'd say, oh, well, we need to pass a Sarbanes-Oxley law and put internal auditors on board, make sure that every prisoner gets a certain caloric intake per day and certain amount of sunshine and lemon juice and, and medical supplies um, and, and, you know, solve the issue with compliance, whereas economists go right to the incentives and say, no, no, just change the incentive, pay the shipping company for every prisoner who shows up alive in Australia. And that's exactly what they did, by the way. And after they made that change, only three prisoners died on the journeys to Australia as opposed to one third. Quite frankly, I'm surprised it was only one third. I mean, the incentive would be to just dump them all overboard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, So there's no doubt that people do respond to incentives and that they, they can 
act very rationally in their own interests. Because again, I think a lot of this is because we learn. We, we make errors, we, we miss the mark, but we figure out how to do it better. And so these assumptions of rationality really do explain a good chunk of human behavior. Clearly. And like I said, we, we have to do that in business. You can't, you can't, I, I would have never been in a meeting where somebody said to me, all right, let's, let's assume that our customers are irrational here, right? Let, let's assume that they don't understand anything. I mean, you, to begin, you couldn't even begin from that assumption, could you? You'd be stuck. Right. It reminds me of David Ogilvy's famous line, uh, you, you know, the consumer's not an idiot, she's your wife, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 makes, it might make us feel good to say, oh, the rest of humanity is just, you know, irrational. But mm, you might learn something if you assume that's not the case first uh, and, and then try and dig deeper like they did with 99 cent pricing or with the convict ships. And, and this goes back all the way to the beginning of economics and per, perhaps even b- before that, right? It was, it was the assumption of, of uh, Smith and, and, and the early economists of rationality. Right, that we're going to act in our own self-interest. I mean, we've been breathing uh, happily since we've been doing this show. If you took a prescription drug this morning, you acted in your own self-interest. That, that, that's not to be confused with greed. Self-interest is a good thing. And, and we do act in our self-interest. And we do try to, you know, optimize or however you want to say it. The, the question is, how far can you, can you drag that assumption and, and is it really true in all cases? And, and I think that's the interesting part of this discussion. Right. And self-interest is not selfishness. Those, 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 are, those are two distinct topics as well. I think those, those get convoluted and are, and are a problem for many people. And no. even like we talked with Deirdre last week about greed, you know, the idea of greed. Self-interest is not greed either. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, thanks, Ron. This is a, a great conversation to, be get, to get us started off. We're going to take a break here. And w- during the break, if you wouldn't mind just uh, taking a, a, a shout out and send us an email at tsoe at verisage.com. Or if you want to tweet us, we can tweet with pound tsoe. And we do monitor that during the show. So we'd love to hear from you after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. 
Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back. And we are talking today about Mr. Spock versus Home Reception, the two sides of human action. And one, we've started off the show by talking about the assumption of rationality in, in, in business. And one thing that's always been perplexing is a pretty interesting story about the difference between a Coke machine and why you have to have, uh, you know, put your, your money in to get a Coke machine, you get only one. And the old newspaper racks, there's still a couple of them in my, in my town for, for the Sunday papers where you go and you put your eight quarters or whatever it is and you take out the paper. Ron, but, you know, when I, whenever I do that, there's like seven or eight papers in there. I could just take them all. Right. And, and Ed, this is another, I think, key insight, uh, assuming that your cu- customers are rational. What, what do the newspaper companies know and what does Coke know about human behavior that, that uh, makes them spend so much less or more money to build these machines, right? And it, because if you were a sociologist or maybe a criminologist and you were looking at this, you might conclude erroneously that, well, it's obvious that New York Time readers are more honest than Coke drinkers. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's kind of a crappy theory. It doesn't really explain what's going on here. What's going on is a second New York Times isn't worth very much at the margin. The, the marginal value to you of a second New York Times is, is zero, practically. I, I would argue the first one is, too, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> now, now. But, but the, 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 the marginal value of a second or even third or fourth or fifth Coke is, is the same because you can store them and enjoy them later. So Coke has to devise these Rube Goldberg machines uh, so only one Coke dispenses at a time. And, you know, it's so funny. I just parenthetically, uh, there's a gal, Wendy Northcutt, here in Berkeley. She's a scientist, and she puts out the Darwin Awards. I, in fact, I think she invented them. And every year, it seems, or every other year, somebody dies uh, having a Coke machine tip over on them because they're trying to shake it or get out a free Coke. <laughs> and it, it just cracks me up because uh, uh, it, it's just really funny. But Well, it, and it makes total sense, though, because if you think about it now, now restaurants, and I think this started in the in the mid-90s or so, uh, the your McDonald's, Burger King, even even some of the, the higher end of the fast food type stuff, you can get your as much much soda as you want, free refills from the soda machine. Right, but if if there are a way to store it, they they wouldn't do that because they're going to assume that okay, after you've taken two big things of Coke, that your third or fourth one is really not going to be worth it. Exactly right, and and Ed, that brings up one more just issue, kind of along the lines of the cash register and the ninety nine cents. You know, you walk into a lot of fast food places today and there'll be a little note somewhere near the cash register that will say, you know, if you don't get a receipt with your meal, uh, it's on us. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that's not because the restaurant, you know, the Burger King owner is interested in the fastidiousness of your home accounting system. It's because they're, they're, they're engaging you to keep a check on their employees, to keep their employees honest. And that's very rational behavior. Right. And, and most, most people don't, don't give that a second thought as to why that is. And there's a couple of restaurants that, that have that. I've seen, seen that relatively frequently. Right. You see it in airports and, and fast food and food courts, things like that. But I do see it quite a lot. And uh, it, it's just really intriguing. And it's, it's another argument for assuming that, you know, people are pretty rational and they'll figure out the best way to do something. Yeah, but are they, Ron? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about one more. Let's talk about one more thing that I think really does illustrate and it has a lot of implications, certainly for pricing or just businesses in general, but that's the four ways to spend money. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, this, the, so, so four ways, and this is a Milton Friedman concept, right, Ron? Is he the one who put this, uh, first put this forward? Or it, yes. I saw it in his book anyway. It's, it's in his book and it's also on his TV show that he did that you can access for free, by the way, I believe on Idea TV, his Free to Choose series. And that's where he first, I think, did it. And then he put it in his book, Free to Choose. But yeah, the right. four ways to spend money. Go ahead. Ed, I'll let so, you. Uh, yeah. And it, 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 you can do this in a two by two, which, you know, of course, if you had the right two by two, you can take over the world. But the, the first the first one is, is I'm spending money on myself. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to spend my own money on me and I'm going to be pretty cautious about that. I want to make sure that I get the best deal. It's, I'm going to be careful about how I go about spending money. The second way is I can spend my money on somebody else. And this is when I'm a gift may, uh, around Christmas time. So, I, yes, I'm, I, I still want to get a good deal, but I, but I'm not so concerned with it. I'm going to make sure that it's, I'm getting the right thing, maybe assure a higher quality than I might normally pay for just myself because I want the, the gift to be well received. Then the third way is I can spend somebody else's money on me. Uh, this is my favorite way to spend money. Well, it's all of our favorite way to spend money because this is an expense account, right? You know, I'm, you're, you're not so – yes, I will have that lobster tail <laughs> as a matter yeah, of fact. Absolutely. Or going out with a large group, right, for a restaurant where you're going to split the tab evenly. What happens? Your, your choices escalate. Yep, always always increase on that. Nobody feels guilty about it because that's we we're nowhere out for it for a good time. And then then fourth and the least effective way of spending money is spending other people's money on other people. And of course, this would be government spending, right? It's like, oh yeah, Ron, I think you should spend more money on your neighbor. Right. Go ahead, give him more money. Yes. Yes. And, and not only, Ed, does the person who's taking the money from A and then handing it to D, not only does he not have to worry about what A thinks, he doesn't even have to care what D does with the money. There's no feedback mechanism when you're in that fourth category, is there? No, and I can even figure out a way to maybe even take a cut. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, from a pricing standpoint, this brings up many very interesting things like airline pricing. Those people sitting in first class and business class, they're not in category one. For the most part, they're on an expense account. They're in our favorite category three. And therefore, the airlines charge them a lot more money. If they didn't do that, think about how much money they'd be leaving on the table. Right. And the same thing with, you know, Saturday night stays and, and if you want the, you know, the cheapest price at a hotel, well, stay on a Sunday night. That's going to be the cheapest, the, the cheap, nobody, nobody wants to fly on a business trip and have to spend Sunday night away. So that's, that's going to be the cheapest night to stay at a hotel. 
Absolutely. And then if you start thinking about just medical care as another great example, we've kind of moved medical spending from category one and two to category three and four, uh, either through private insurance or, or government insurance like Medicare and other types. And if you think about that, it's one of the reasons why healthcare costs have exploded. Because if you're not paying for it, then you have no reason to care how much something costs. And I think this is the logic behind the health savings account. You know, put it back into category one and two, make doctors and hospitals compete for your dollar just like every other business. And that would keep a check on prices and competition would help keep the prices in check. Yep. And well, and healthcare is just a, a crazy place. It's the only place where in the last 30 years, technology is blamed for increasing prices, right? Yes. Every place else in the world, technology is considered to be the great cost decreaser, right? It's subtracted costs. We sucked cost out because of automation. Right. Not in medicine. Nope. That's it, Why is it so expensive? Well, because because we have a lot of technology. No, that's not it at all. <laughs> it's because it's, yeah. it's a different category. I it's mean, these, it, yeah, go, go ahead. It, it, the, the, the whole idea of even co-pays, right? Co- co-pays made it that much more enticing for people to say, okay, do I really need to go to this, get the second opinion if I've got to pay a second copay? Right. And, and Ed, that's especially true if you look at uh, insur- uh, uh, medical procedures that aren't covered by insur- insurance like LASIK or, or plastic surgery, things like that. What's been happening in that market is prices have been dropping. And, and that's because of technology and the competition and, and price transparency, I might add, as well. Right. Yeah, I th- and I think that's that's key. You you cannot ask your doctor or even anybody at the at the office what's the price for this. They don't know. They're like, I, I won't know the price until I submit it. <laughs> what? Right, right. You, we certainly wouldn't buy a car that way. It's it's, it's crazy <laughs> to buy medical services that way. But you know, it it, it is interesting because uh, I think if if you if you think about this, and David Friedman has given us a really interesting heuristic, I believe here, a mental shortcut about rationality. He thinks it explains about 50% of human behavior. Now, he said, now that's not perfect, but if I could do that well at the track, I'd be a rich man, which is a fair point. Uh, (laughs) But let's talk about that other 50%. Now, maybe we can explain all of the other 50% or maybe just a portion of it. But let's talk about how some of the Homer Simpson economists, the behavioral economists, have started to poke holes in the assumption of rationality. Right. And, it, and it's really just if you start to ask yourself a series of questions about certain things, right? Um, it, for the first one I'll just lead off with is why, why, why do we pay more prices for goods that, that, and services that are endorsed by celebrities? You know, I, I, re, I really just – I personally, this is not one that I'm Homer Simpson on. You know, I, I really don't care and don't think that if I use uh, Tiger Woods' golf clubs that I'm going to be able to shoot like Tiger Woods at the golf course. I, I, I just don't buy that. But there are a lot of people who do. I, I might be on the Homer Simpson side of that argument, and I have to say I probably have bought some golf uh, paraphernalia <laughs> because certain uh, you know PGA golfers uh, use it. So yeah, I'm probably guilty there. Okay, so and so this is a good example. Is like some some people are, some people aren't. The assumption still has to be one of rationality. But if if it were purely rational like that, we would only buy the best of golf equipment as put forward by consumers reports, we would not even look at who is endorsing it. 
Right. Right. And another, another thing that the behavioral economists love to point out is why do we leave tips in restaurants in strange towns that, that we'll never visit again? Especially and, if you're on an expense report. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm very susceptible to this. I do this all the time. And uh, another one of my favorite is I, I once spoke at a conference here in California when the lottery, I think, was up to 30 million. And I asked people if they had a ticket, and a few people raised their hand, and I said, I'll give you, I'll give you 100 bucks for it. And nobody would sell me that ticket. A $1 ticket for 100 bucks? Yeah. Now, we both know that the odds of winning that type of a lottery are about the same if you buy a ticket as if you don't. <laughs> uh, so the fact that they wouldn't take a you know, 100 to 1 return, uh, does that make them irrational or is something else going on there? I think that makes them irrational. I'm sorry, that one's crazy. That's that's, that's not just irrational. That one's crazy. I'd be like, give me the hundred dollars now. <laughs> well, you know, Deirdre McCloskey even brought up the other week about dying wealthy is is not uh, very practical or rational because I mean, the the richest person in the cemetery. What what what's the point of that? You know, this is what Andrew Carnegie said, right? The, the person who dies rich dies disgraced. So, but people die wealthy all the time and leave it to their, what she called useless heirs, I think. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that that's, that's, that's right. I mean, it, you know, I, I plan to take it with me, though. I'm taking it with me when I die. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, when we come back, we're going we're gonna to dive a deep into the, the Homer Simpson side. And we're going to talk about some of the effects. Not Like Ed said, not that, that we're crazy but maybe we're not as uh, you know, rational and calculating as Mr. Spock uh, would have you believe. Uh, again, you can email us at tsoe at verisage.com. We'd love to get your feedback, what's going on, what you think about the show, suggested topics. Uh, a few of you have written us. It's been very gratifying. We, we take all your comments very seriously. And uh, when we return from this break from our sponsor, Sage One, We'll, we'll dive back into Homer Simpson. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on The Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit Verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose. Measure what matters to customers. And his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. We're always talking business. 
talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. So we're talking today about the two sides of human action, Mr. Spock and Homer Simpson, and I'll, it would be wrong of me not to share some some Homer Simpson stories. One of my favorite episodes is one in which Homer is uh, it, it get, gets gets really angry and goes out to buy a gun, and uh, the 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 gun broker says to him, "Sorry, Mr. Simpson, but you know, do the the Brady Bill is seven day waiting period." For a purchase of a handgun, and Homer says, "But I'm angry now." <laughs> this, this is this is the like where Homer is acting perfectly rational. There, well, no, he's irrational, but it's rational about like this idea. But the other one is when he when Marge is chastising Homer for not agreeing to be the coach of of uh, Bart's little league team, and. Uh, uh, he's, you know, you sh- you're, you're going to regret not spending time with your kids when you get older, Homer. And and Homer says, "Well, that's a problem for future Homer." And then <laughs> after he says that, he takes a big thing of vodka, pours it into a mayonnaise jar, shakes it up, and drinks down the vodka and mayonnaise together, <laughs> and then promptly passes out. And <laughs> it's a problem for future Homer. <laughs> oh, gee, we could do a whole show on The Simpsons. I just, yeah. You just made me think about another one of my favorite episodes, The Trillion Dollar Bill, I think it's called, or something, where uh, Mr. Burns has this trillion dollar bill that was printed by the government, and Homer gets a hold of it, and I don't know, they're flying it to Cuba for some reason. And Homer's trying to put it into a Coke machine, and it's... <laughs> And he's really upset that it won't take it. It's it's hysterical beyond words. But it, it does illustrate that, that there are sides to us that we don't necessarily think sometimes about the long-term consequences of our actions. I mean, let's face it, Ed. Mr. Spock wouldn't need Gamblers Anonymous. He wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous. He He wouldn't need a smart credit card because he probably wouldn't be 100 grand in credit card debt, right? So... What makes people do these things that don't appear on the surface completely rational? Well, what makes people be entrepreneurs? I mean, what, which is where this whole show comes from, this soul of enterprise. And that what, what, I mean, it's crazy to think that you, as an entrepreneur that you have influence over the potential outcome of what it is you're trying to do. It's all about faith and belief. Right. That's that's very true. You know, there's a very interesting economist, a guy named Herbert Simon. I think he's a Nobel Prize winner. I think he's the father of AI, actually, artificial intelligence. And he came up with this term, bounded rationality, that we act rational within a certain boundary. And he added to that this term, satisficing. Mm. He said, if you think about it, People don't really optimize. We're not really trying to maximize everything, whether it be profit or the value that you get, you know, when you buy somebody a gift, like you were saying. Um, what he said was this concept of satisficing is I'll do good enough. And it's, it's good enough. It's kind of like don't let the, 
the perfect be the enemy of the good. We'll just do good enough. And if you think about this in a business context, it's one of the things that we see in a lot of companies that use cost plus pricing. We, we, everybody knows cost plus pricing is not profit optimizing because it, it doesn't take into account value to the customer. But you know what? It's good enough. And why bother to change it? And I think that's a really important insight. It is, and 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 I think that that satisficing is such a such a great term for that because we do that all the time. It's it, well, it, it, it's good enough for now. My my mom used to call it. A, you know, we, we'd just give that a lick and a promise, right? You know, <laughs> it's it's good it's good enough for now, right? And and look, you can get by a lot on that. There's there, that's there's nothing inherently irrational about that, right? It's really not. I mean, it conserves resources very well, and, and it will get you by for sure. Absolutely. Well, because you, you, you might get to the point where it, you would never be able to make a decision then, right? Because if you had to have – and this is the whole perfect information theory. If you had to have perfect information about everything, you'd never make a purchase decision, never. So you need certain shortcuts, mental shortcuts, which we call heuristics to be able to do that, right? Yep, yep. And then that's another one of – Herbert Simon's points was, you know, there is a cost to getting more information. I mean, how many cars do you have to look at or houses? And those are two big, very ticket items that will have a substantial impact on your life for at least a while. Uh, how many do you have to look at before you finally say, okay, enough, this is it. I'm, we're going to buy this one. Yep. Well, and this is where I'm, I'm thankful that my wife is, is much more of the Mr. Spock in this particular case. When we were house hunting, I'd be like, yeah, this is good. I mean, I was like Mr. Satisfice when it came to what house we would buy. But, <laughs> you know, it looks, it looks okay to me. <laughs> so, no, but, but, and I think that, 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 but that's important to have some balance in that and, and to understand that there are, there are people, and it, it's not a man woman thing at all. It's just that people behave differently given the circumstances and we have to take that into account when we're operating a business absolutely it's kind of like the diffusion curve right where you've got your innovators and your early adopters and your early majority and late majority and then your laggards but we're all over that that diffusion curve uh, for different things in our lives yep. right we may be a tech tech gadget person but for something else like our automobile maybe or golf clubs or whatever it may be, we may be on the laggard side. Mm -hmm. And and it's the same way with risk. So your entrepreneur point, um, we, we have very different tolerances for risk. Some people can sleep, uh, not lose a wink without paying their mortgage or their rent for a month. And other people would, you know, be up, you know, perpetually worrying about it. Yep. Hey, well, let's talk a some of, about some of these these heuristics or shortcuts that we we use to to make these decisions. And uh, really, I think it's so it's it's not so irrational as it is you know, self preservation because we just couldn't seek out all of the information. Right, and we couldn't expend the resources it would require to engage our brain. Right, uh, like Mr. Spock, all the time. We just don't have his constitutions. Right. His con right. So, <laughs> so, what are some of these? What are some of these, Ron? Well, one of the things that, you know, we talked about, I think, in the second law of marketing show was this idea of the anchoring effect, that if, if we walk into a, let's take a restaurant, if you go into a four-star restaurant, you're looking at a wine list, you might see a $10,000 bottle of wine, and, you know, it might not even be in their cellar, but what they know is it's probably going to help you pick a more expensive bottle of wine. You might, you may go for the five or $600 Opus. Now, Ed, Mr. Spock wouldn't be influenced by that. 
anchor effects would have no sway on him whatsoever because he'd pick the wine that he wanted and that was within his budget. But we seem to be heavily influenced by the anchoring effect. And you've, you've documented that doing an exercise when you, when you teach pricing, haven't you? Yeah, no, it's a fascinating thing. We have, we have people, we put a, a picture of three different products on, on, a, on a sheet of paper. And they're all products that sell for, uh, I think it's, and this 95 pricing, $49.99 at Target, right? So each of the three products are that price. And then we ask f- folks to put down next to that the last two digits of their social security number. So just for reference purposes. So it's theoretically ran- random two digits, last two digits of the social security number. And then we ask them to say, okay, would you pay that price, the last two digits of your social security number, would you pay that price for that particular product, yes or no? Right? And then they just right. do yes or no next to it. And then the last thing we say is, okay, well, what would you price that product at? Now, what's interesting is that the, the would you buy it yes or no for that particular price is completely diversionary. It has nothing to do with the exercise, right? But what we do do is we then put – we take the, the, these sheets. We collect them all. I put them into a spreadsheet, and then we run just a quick regression analysis on it. And we've never run in, even with an audience relatively small, four to five people, and sometimes we've, we're doing this with 30 and 40 people. But even a small audience, the, their, their social security, their two-digit social security, number will influence and have an impact on what they put a price on it for. So those, in other words, those that have the higher two digits, you know, 80s or 90s, will tend to price the product higher than those with the lower social security numbers because we've given them an anchor of the, the, the that of that completely random price. Yeah, most folks just do not believe this at all. So uh, there, there, are, there are other things that are, I think, are also part of this too. Uh, we have the the uh, this confirmation bias, right? Which is this idea that uh, you know we have a, a belief or a vision of the world, uh, and we pay no attention that the w- whether the evidence is there or not. Ron, are you back? We, we, I we am lost back. you for a second. Okay, good. Yes. Sorry about that. So I just I moved on to confirmation bias. Okay. Yep. Uh, and that you know we we tend to think that once we see one thing, we look for confirmation around that. And of course, the best example of that is check-ins at hotels. Uh, you know, we we I despise going to Las Vegas mostly because every time I check into a hotel in Las Vegas, uh, I, I it takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely, absolutely forever. So I've, I've made up my mind that this is a terrible place and I, I'm not going to like this hotel. And then I'm looking for things like, okay, with the, you know, look at that. There, there's carpet stains or the, you know, the, I, I don't really like the plants or what, I, the, the sculpture is crappy. You know, so it, it, we, we, we tend to look for things once we have something in our, our, our brain about a particular experience. That is so true. And the, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite examples of this, again, illustrating how these anomalies come up between rational and, and quote unquote irrational is if you look at 401k plans uh, amongst 20 year olds, to opt into a 401k plan, say your first job coming out of college in your 20s, the opt in rate is like 15%. A very small percentage of 20 year olds are thinking about their retirement. Mm-hmm. And there's been all sorts of studies done when the company makes you opt out mm-hmm. of the 401k. So you're automatically in. You, you have to now sign five things in triplicate to get out. Mm-hmm. Then 
the 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 participation rate it it goes up four or five times it goes up to almost like two thirds. Now that wouldn't influence Mr. Spock. He wouldn't care if he had to opt in or opt out. He'd do whatever he wanted to do. But it does influence us. And that this is true even in countries for organ donation. In some countries you're automatically an organ donator unless you opt out. And in those countries the organ donation rate is much higher than in countries where you have to opt in like we do here mostly in the United States. Yeah, and and I and I find that that absolutely fascinating. And when you really think about that, uh, and this is where this com- comes into play as a, as a business owner, is you, the default values on the on perhaps forms or websites are so incredibly important. I mean, that that really says that the default value at the DMV, the guy who designed the form or gal who designed the form, has the power of life over death based on the form. It, it, right. it is, it, yeah. Economists call it choice architecture, and there is definitely something to it. Yeah, and whether or not you want to, for example, do you, do you have a base model that you add stuff to, or do you have a a, a base model or, or a higher price model that you subtract things from when you're configuring a, a, a product? That that makes a difference, and you have to think about those things. And of course, the the one of the more famous ones is the the changing of a word on a button to go from register to continue. And you can look this up. We'll put it in the on the website. Three hundred million dollars in increased sales when you said that you wanted to continue versus register and it, this the functionality was the same it was just the word choice that was different yeah well, why yeah why is it Ed, that we we hate to to uh, be made to register before we buy but we're happy to register after we buy there's absolutely no difference right there is absolutely no, no difference but it's a, our, our brain says okay yeah i'm happy to just continue on with the sale and and after the break we'll explore this idea and some others and then we'll also set up next week's show but in the meantime please get a hold of us at tsoe at verisage.com alternatively pound tsoe on twitter and we do monitor twitter during the show and we'd love to hear from you but now a word from sage one Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. And again, you can please feel free to contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. We enjoy getting your emails about the show and your ideas for topics that you'd like to hear us discuss. Um, Ed, back to uh, some of these quote-unquote irrational effects. You, I think you can tell I'm getting more uncomfortable with this term irrational because I don't think that <laughs> is, is the accurate description, but I'll just stick with that for now. But let's talk about the idea of zero-price irrationality. Why is it like when we're at a convention, like we were recently at Sage Summit, you walk through the exhibitor hall and all the little tchotchkes they give away. We've got to just fill our bag with it. It's free. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> Going to bring them home for the kids. And I, got, I need two. Yeah. I need two. Do you have another one of these? You another one of these? Yeah. No, because there, there's something appealing about that four-letter word, free. Right, that we just we just we just love to get something for free. I mean, there's a whole school around this of the idea of freemium, right? And and I'm I'm a a a, a big follower of it now because almost all of the games on on iPad because my my kids both have iPads now, they're they're all free, but then they have the in-app purchases. So you get the you know my pretty pony thing, and you get the free blue pony. But if you want the pink pony, you gotta you know. <laughs> pun intended, pony up another 99 cents for the pink <laughs> pony. <laughs> but so, so the, the, this, but this is the, it's the appeal of free, you know, and my kids have even are, are, are even into it now, oh, but it's free dad. It's free. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you know, another interesting one is this idea between how our minds thinks about relative price versus absolute price. If, if you were in a store shopping for, I don't know, $25 pen, say, you know, as a graduation gift or something, and somebody came up to you and said, Hey buddy, you know, this is on sale across town. Uh, for you know $20, you might very well drive across town to save that five bucks. But if you were looking at a $300 suit and somebody told you it was five bucks off across town, you, you chances are you wouldn't care. But right. it's the same five bucks. Mr. <laughs> Spock would go both times, wouldn't he? Or, or not. Or not. Or not. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. But but I mean, if he was really just running the numbers, you certainly right. would because it's five bucks is five bucks. But we look at the total amount that we're spending, which which I find very very intriguing. I mean, we've talked about this this. Uh, I think another interesting aspect to this is how many times have you looked at a uh, thinking about spending a, a money on an app for your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Or your iPad for three ninety nine, or for, and, and you agonize over it. Yet we'll we'll drop ten bucks in Starbucks and not give it a second thought. No, nope. but we'll, but we'll agonize over an app purchase. What, what do you think's going on there? I think I think that one's more opportunity because you, you feel your feeling is okay. If this is an app for let's say to dos, like managing my to dos, I I don't want to go and it's not the three bucks. It's because it, it could be free. It, it, I would even agonize over the free one because. Uh, if I if I start playing with this one and I don't like it, then I'm going to have to re-enter my to-dos, and so it's, I think it's an opportunity cost one. I, that's what I think on that one. Right, I, I do think it's the hassle factor. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this and go through mm-hmm. this learning curve, and I'm going to find out this does it's not what I want. So we agonize over the decision more, which is which is very interesting. Yeah, talk uh, a little bit about the framing effect though too, because that that that's one that really intrigues me. 
It, it it does. I mean, we I think we brought up the the example of Red Bull. You know how Red Bull put themselves in a tall skinny can, so you wouldn't think it was just another soft drink like a Coke or Pepsi, uh, because otherwise, how could you charge three bucks for a Red Bull? I'll I'll just go buy a Coke or Pepsi. So, you know how a company frames its products or services may, may, makes a big difference on people's willingness to pay. Um, another ex- a great example of this is when cold cuts are packaged, it's much better to say 90% fat-free than to say 10% fat. It actually makes a pretty big difference in the sales numbers. Yep, and I think that that is that, that's that's something that we that businesses really should look at is is framing that, and especially when it comes to pricing. You know, I I, I perhaps have talked about how the fact that I despise the word discount because I I think that it, it, discount sounds cheap. It sounds like we're doing something that's you know, but what I love is to be to give somebody a preferred price or a promotional price. Uh, right. And and that's just using the framing effect as, as well, right? So instead of 10% off, we're going to say, you know, we're, we'll give this to you at a preferred price of 90% of the list. Right, right. And, and you know, another effect uh, that, that behavioral economists talk about is this idea of the endowment effect, that we actually value something much more as soon as it's ours. You know, I, I won't I won't uh, sell my Super Bowl ticket for a thousand dollars, even though, you know, <laughs> I, I, I might have been happy to, to, to get that money. But once something's ours, we value it more, which is why the pet store will let you take the puppy home. Right. Or the, the bed manufacturer will let you try it out for 30 days because once you own it, uh, you know, it, it, it's it feels like it's yours and it's worth more to you. And you know who understands this better than anyone? I think is Apple with with the, the things that they do. I mean, even even the operating system updates. I'm looking forward to iOS eight. I can't wait to own it. I can't wait to, for it to be on my phone. I want to be the first one to download it, right? And it's free. This is the example of 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 free. It's but but it's it's all about that. You know, I I want to I want to be first. I want to be be seen as oh you you were on iOS eight or whatever. And it, because I I want it to be part of me, who I am. Right. It, it, it says more about me than it's, I'm not doing it for Apple. I'm doing it nope. because I want to say something about me, which is that, why people line up, you know. <laughs> but they understood the block. this. They understood that this is why the, the, the headphones were white. <laughs> they, <laughs> because, they do. So, I mean, just really, really smart. Well, let, let's, we have a couple more things to talk about, Ron, and only a few minutes left. The, the idea of, of Daniel Kahneman and System 1 versus System 2, but also next week's show, we're going to be talking to a master of all of these effects, aren't we? Yes, uh, folks, we are so excited. Our second guest on the Soul of Enterprise will be Rory Sutherland, who is the vice chairman of Ogilvy & Mather in the United Kingdom. And Ed and I have been following this gentleman for a long time. He has done three or four TED Talks. He's done a Zeitgeist Talk, which is Google's internal talks uh, that you can find on the web. And again, we'll, we'll post this on our show notes on verisage.com slash TSOE, uh, where you can watch these. But I had the great good fortune, Ed, of meeting Rory at the Professional Pricing Society where he keynoted. And I kind of I kind of cornered him uh, when he was doing d- during his sound checks because he got there early, obviously. And I knew that. So I went down and I ended up spending a good half hour with him. And that's when he agreed to do this show. So I can't wait to talk to him because he's a font of behavioral economics. He, he actually believes wholeheartedly that if 
advertising agencies don't become behavioral economists, they're going to become irrelevant. Yeah, you got. If those of you listening to the show, strap on your seatbelts because he he just he just is an explosion of ideas. If you've ever watched any of his TED talks and and especially his one talk at Google, where he, I mean, it's just idea after idea after idea that are all surrounded around this idea of of uh, behavioral economics. And and yeah, that's fun. And he's also I, I I have to say he's also a devotee of Austrian. Economics. He, he Ludwig von Mises is his big hero, as <laughs> as he is for us. Ed. I mean, we're 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 Austrian economists. If you had to peg us, and it, it was just really interesting to meet a kindred spirit. And I have to say, Rory in person is just like Rory when he does a talk. It's the same font of ideas coming at you like a truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I can't wait. It's going to be a great show. So really looking forward to that. It it will be. Uh, and and folks, just uh, you know, Ed mentioned Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, and we're not going to be able to get into that. But that's another way to frame these ideas, and I think he's got a very interesting take on it too. And we will put some things in our show notes on that as well, too, Ed. Yep. Yeah. No, that's it, it, some great stuff. Thinking fast, thinking slow. Can't can't say enough about that one. Yep. Excellent. So, folks, we, we really hope you join us for, for next week when we have Roy Sutherland on. Uh, again, like Ed said, strap in. It's, it's going to be a heck of a ride, and, and we're really looking forward to it. So we'll see you back here next week, Ed. Yep, we'll see you guys in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage One online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, when we'll have Rory Sutherland on as our guest. Until then, please visit us at verisage.com slash TSOE for more information about the show, books we cited, and other, other resources and additional reading. We'll see you back here in 167 hours, Ed. 